Thanks, mate. <laughs> so this morning, Paul thought it'd be really funny because I've written, remind everyone this morning that you've got good news for them. And he put, he put, this morning I have, and then a word that I can't say, news for you. So he, had, he dropped an S-bomb. I have news for you. That's what he did. And I was like, mate, I'm going to read that out to everyone. Imagine if I read that out for the front, it'd be really terrible. Um, okay, so... This morning, I have good news for you, everyone. <laughs> um, we're going to talk about uh, being a saviour. We're going to talk about being a saviour. But I realise, like, I, I've prepared a little story that, me, that involves me, Billy and Josh, as it always does. Every single time, I like to embarrass them as much as I possibly can. But I realised this one, I like thought, oh yeah, this is great. I look really heroic in this story. But I actually just look like an idiot. So I've realised that now, in this moment. So probably a little bit too late. Anyway, me, Billy and Josh and uh, a, few other guy, a few other girls went away together to Mallorca. And it was awesome. We had the best time ever. It was amazing. I spent literally my whole week in the water. Like, I would, Josh, Josh would be sunbathing like this all day with his mouth open asleep and I would go in the water at like nine o'clock in the morning and come out at five like a work shift and I was so wrinkled it was like all right guys like that it was a mess it was terrible but I loved it I spent my whole week in the water Billy went in the water like once and got stung by a jellyfish immediately on the back of the leg really badly and I, I, I don't know how I got away with it for the whole week but Near the end of the week, we went, uh, we went kayaking together, <laughs> and it was brilliant. And Josh, being the, being the big, strong gym man that he is, picked the heavier kayak. And about 15, 20 minutes into our little journey... Oh, let you show the defend yourself. No, I'm the one with the microphone, Josh. You stay quiet, please. About 15, 20 minutes into the journey, he's like, oh, my triceps are tired, and he took himself home. <laughs> And me, me, me and Billy stayed. And we went, we went round like this big cove. It was really cool, actually. And the water was really deep. And we were getting a bit sketched out anyway. We went around the corner. And there was this guide with, like, with loads of kids like, showing them areas where they could jump off rocks and stuff. They had all their own kayaks. And they had tied their kayaks up to one of the boys. It was like quite far out. So me and Billy was like, that's a great idea. We tied our kayaks up to this boy and we swam into a little rock. And it was really like beautiful area. It was amazing. And we saw this big cave and we were like, wow, that's cool. Let's like, let's go and swim over into the cave. So Billy jumps in, he swims over. It's like, I don't know, 50 meters or whatever, something like that. And he's like stood in the mouth of the cave and the guide who's just about to leave is like, no, no, don't go in there. Like the rocks, they fall from the ceiling and it's really, really dangerous and you could, you could die. It's, it's bad. So Billy is like, oh, okay. The guide goes, Billy jumps into the water and um, literally like his foot hits the water and he goes, oh, like that. And he's been stung by a jellyfish straight away, like immediately. And I was like, oh no. So he swims over to this little rock in like, we're like stranded on this little rock, stood there and Billy takes his life jacket off uh, underneath just there. He's got like a, a genuine, it was really horrible, like a laceration across his like chest there and a big swollen bit underneath. We were like, oh no no, this is not good. And Billy was like, stood there, and, and I've actually got all of this on GoPro, because I had a little GoPro, and I've, <laughs> I've got it all, but we swore so much that I couldn't play it. <laughs> Sorry. But we, it was a lot scarier than it seems, because we were just stranded, like 100 metres away as our kayaks. We were like, oh, this sucks. 
So we're like, okay, we can swim back over. We'll be all right. Let's just check like, and see where that jellyfish is. And I stuck my GoPro in the water and then pulled it back up and looked at the film. There was like 15 jellyfish all around where we were. We were like, ah. Oh. And we were both just stood there. And like half an hour went by because we were both too scared to get back in the water. And Billy was in pain. Now, don't judge me. But there's a certain thing that you can do when, <laughs> when someone's in pain from a jellyfish thing that helps. And he was looking at me. And I was looking at him. <laughs> and, it, <laughs> and the shame and the guilt. Is, I mean, it's like that episode of Friends, isn't it? When that happens. And it, <laughs> it was awful. But I'll admit, a little part of me, I'd read an article earlier on in the week that had said that it doesn't really work. But Billy was looking at me like, this is really going to help. And I thought, this is going to be a great story to tell. So I'm just going to go ahead and do it. And from, the, from that point onwards, we still stood there terrified. And it got to a point where we're both like edging on a little bit of being ginger. So we got so sunburnt that I had to take the step and get in the water and swim back. I had, my little life, I had my little life jacket on that was like holding me up. It was cool, because I realized I could swim in a really like tight space. I'm quite a long man. And normally when I swim, it's like a pepper army stick slapping into the water over and over again. But I realized I could stay in a tight space, and I was like, I'm saving my friend here. This is brilliant. But I was, <laughs> when I got in the water, I could hear him, even though my head was underwater, because I had like a snorkel on and everything. I could hear him laughing at me, because I was swimming like this trying not to touch a jellyfish and at one point I didn't realise it, but it was right there and because I had my snorkel I was like oh, 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 like that and I could hear him absolutely wetting himself behind me and I eventually went and saved him but it was well saved him you know. <laughs> the next bit of my little preach I've written down here no one looks cool being rescued but I realised I was the rescuer and I did not look cool in that story which kind of ruins it a bit but anyway this morning, I want to talk about being rescued. The idea this morning is that all of us have been rescued, whether you want to recognize it or not. We've all been rescued, and uh, no one looks cool reaching out for a lifeline, do they? No one does. It's, it's like uh, I'm helpless in that situation. I'm helpless. And when you're being dragged out of the sea onto a boat, you, it's not a cool look, is it? It's not a cool look. It's kind of humiliating, if we're really honest. It's a little bit humiliating. And um, I think in our privileged society, I know obviously we all come from like loads of different backgrounds, but in our privileged society, we, I think we reject that a little bit, don't we? It's a bit, uh, it's a bit uncomfortable. We, we like to pretend that we've got it sorted. We like, to, uh, we like to come across like we're all right, that we're self-sufficient. That's always a cool thing. Like we look at people like Bear Grylls and we think, you could drop him anywhere on the planet and he'll be absolutely fine. He'll make something out of a shoe and he'll be okay. We, we all want to be like that, don't we? It's a, it's a bit of a thing we've got in our culture. I wrote the other day in my, uh, in my journal when I was thinking about this and praying about this, I forget so often that I've been saved. I forget the humble posture you take when you're getting saved. No one looks heroic reaching out for a lifeline. I have a tendency to resist the humility it takes to remember that someone dug me out when I couldn't do it on my own. And after that... I thought of this story, this is like, this is such a shameful story for me. But 
when I was in school, I cared so much about what people thought about me. It was like, that was my thing that I really had to sort out. It was, it was not good. It led me to do some pretty stupid things. This is one of them. My, uh, uh, I was pretty close with my friend called Madison, and uh, she was really lovely and beautiful, and she was going out with this really scary guy called Scott, whose brother was in prison. And I, <laughs> I was scared of him. And, uh, like, me and her got pretty close, and... I, there was a rumour going around that she was going out of him, but she liked me. And I was absolutely loving the thought of that. That meant everything to me because, you know, someone was into me and that was a big deal. So uh, me and her were hanging out and we had a little kiss, even though she was going out of him. And I obviously was a little bit like, I feel bad for him, but he's also a bit of an idiot, so I'm pretty happy with myself right now. And then came the next day of school and we all know how quickly rumours go round at school. And somehow, something that was just between me and her became between me and the whole school. And everybody, like, there was this rumour going round that they knew. And I was just denying it. I was denying and denying and denying. There was no way I'd done it. No way. I was lying through my teeth. And then his two best mates, this is how much of a sucker I was in, in, uh, in secondary school. His two mates befriended me. And they were, like, cool guys. And I, I'd never, like, chatted with them before or anything. They spent the whole day, like, wooing me. And I was just a little idiot, like a little dog, panting along, <laughs> like, I'll take you, give me a friendship, give me a friendship, like a little loser. <laughs> and it got to the end of the day, and we were, like, chilling out on the bench. And they were like, um, Jay, there's been this rumour. You did it, didn't you? That's well cool, you did it. And, like, a little idiot, I was like, yeah, yeah, I did. <laughs> like a little idiot fell right into the trap and then of course they literally like as soon as I was like yeah they were like cool and just walk off I'm like no my friends <laughs> it was ridiculous and then the next day that was it he was on to me and I walk into school and I walk past reception where like the medical room was and what looked like the zombie apocalypse was coming down the hill towards me. I went to a, a school of like a thousand kids in it. Genuinely, I think the number was a thousand children. And they all were coming down the hill and they were like, fight, fight, fight. I was like, <laughs> like terrified. And uh, I'll be honest, I went and hid in the medical room like a coward. <laughs> I was an absolute coward. And I was like sat there and the glass is all frosted over in the medical room. I could see hands on it like doo, 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 doo. I was literally like, it's funny when I think about it now, but at the time, like I was caught in a lie. And it was so, it was so humiliating. Like, number one, that I was an idiot enough to do it in the first place. Number two, that I was such a sucker and I was so desperate for friendship that I like gave the secret away to him. And then number three, that I couldn't even face my beating that I was gonna get. Like it was just horrible, it was horrible. I sat there with like my head in my hands. It's like, it's like classic, like, you're a mess. You're an absolute mess situation. And it just really made me think about like that little journal bit. It made me think about that story. And like straight off that little ordeal, I went into, I uh, came to GNC for the first time, which is the festival that Paul was talking about earlier. I met these guys that they were like the youth team there, I suppose. And they were like, it was just a ridiculous friendship group. I've never seen anything so uh, hilarious, so productive. Like they were at, like their friendship group like produced good stuff. I didn't understand that. For me, my friendship group was about bat battering each other with horrible banter and like putting each other down and who was the best at football. Like that was it. It, it was just so to do with nothing. 
I didn't understand this friendship group that they were more patient and that they would give me time. And I don't know, it was just, it was just crazy. It was crazy. But um, I think I, I really thought it was that they'd been friends for ages and I thought that was it. But I think actually the key was humility. And that sounds a bit weird, like I, I need to explain that. But the key definitely is humility. So um, who's been watching the SAS program? Anyone been watching the SAS program? If you haven't, it's so good. You've got to watch it. It's, it's an awesome program. Basically, the premise is uh, these standard guys, I suppose, most of them are, are pretty fit. They've done a lot of fitness training, but they come along and they do a week's worth of like a crash course in SAS training. And it is so brutal. Like the mind games they put them through, they're so clever. It's, it's amazing. They bring them in, they interrogate them and stuff like that. And then they do loads of physical tasks and loads of other stuff. It's amazing. You should watch it. Um, but I don't know why I've become an advocate for this program. <laughs> Someone should pay me. Um, but there's this one bit where this guy has lied. In his past, he's lied about being involved in the military. And uh, he said he was a paratrooper when he wasn't. Um, and he put it on his CV and it helped him get a job. And uh, they brought him in to interview him. And they, they do this humongous background, background check on everyone. And they found this CV with it on, and the, the guys who run the course, they're all ex-SAS or SBS. Um, and there's this thing, like, I don't know, I'm sure it's a thing that you're aware of, but like stolen valor, like if you've lied about being in, in the military to guys who are in the military, that is like the worst possible thing you could do. You're stealing their honor if, if you do that. You are, like people die to say that they are, be, that they are a military man or, or woman, and to steal that from them is like, <laughs> it's a big no-no. So uh, they confront him on it, and they're like, um, so you said you've got no uh, military pass. Like, what's this? And he flips around the laptop, and they show him the CV, and he is just there, and he's caught in his lie. And it's like, it's, <laughs> it's serious. And they're like staring him in the eye. It's brutal. And, and then he says, oh, I'm really sorry, that's a lie. Or the, the language that comes out after that, they're like, they like smash down on the table and they're like right in his face and they are absolutely furious with him like it's they chew him out big time but then it cuts to a little bit straight after where uh, the leader of the course says this quote and I just thought it's like it's just bang on it's so good the special forces community is brutal it's about being true to who you are it's about being honest and facing whatever demons are put in your way the moment you try and mask it it's problem on problem on problem. So it's important that you're open. Then all the team can come together. That's what seals the brotherhood. And like, I know that's not about faith. I know that's about SAS and all that stuff. But that is so true for faith. That is so true for faith. That is what that friendship group has. That's what that friendship group has. No one is pretending. No one's pretending. Everybody has been on their knees in front of Jesus. Everybody's admitted, I'm a mess. I'm a mess. I can't pretend anymore. I haven't got it figured out. I keep lying to my friends. I keep betraying people. I, I, I'm not as confident as I want to be. I, I have to pretend all the time. It's just, we, there's no time for it. If you want to be a friendship group, if you want to be a community of people that wants to do something good, you have to admit that you're broken. No one here is perfect. No one. No one. And, uh, like, I, I won't apologize for that. I know it's, it might be a difficult message to accept on a Sunday morning <laughs> to be w woken up early, come to church, and told that you're broken, but it's the truth. It's the truth. 
everybody doesn't meet up to perfection. No one meets up to the standard of God and the standard that God has. We are all separated from him because of ourselves. That, that's the truth. I wrote down here again in my journal, my intrigue to a real faith was this friendship group, this brotherhood, but I didn't understand. The thing that sealed the group together was an understanding of humility. We've all been saved. None of us are pretending uh, that we don't need Jesus. He's the reason we are who we are. It's, um, it's a bit weird then, because then straight away, like it reminded me of David and Bathsheba, and like the last, I don't think it's the last time I spoke, I think it's time for it, doesn't matter. Um, we, uh, we looked at David and Goliath and him like stepping up and taking this like, awesome it's an awesome story David and Goliath but like fast forward a few years and even though like he had this faith like it it didn't solve everything he slept with another woman who was married to another man and he got her pregnant she was called Bathsheba it's a really famous story if you don't know Um, and uh, she was married to a man called Uriah and he was part of David's armed forces David was the king at this point and David like, he got her pregnant, realized he'd screwed up, and he sent Uriah into battle on the front lines, basically because he knew he would get killed and it would solve that problem. He's, like, caught in a lie, like, big time. He knows, and this prophet comes up to him and, and, and talks to him and, like, confronts him on what he's done. He knows what he's done. And David is broken. This is from Psalm 69, which, like, um, all the experts, I suppose, in, in the Bible, theologians, they're called, uh, they believe that this... This first this song that he's written is about him mourning what he's done. He's been caught in the line. He's just, he's mourning, he's grieving his behavior. It says here, um, this is, sorry, I should tell you, Psalm 69, verse 13 to 18. Um, but I keep praying to you, Lord, hoping this time you will show me favor in your unfading love, O God. Answer my prayer with your sure salvation. Rescue me from the mud. Don't let me sink any deeper. Save me from those who hate me and pull me from these deep waters. Don't let the floods overwhelm me or the deep waters swallow me or the pit of death devour me. Answer my prayers, O Lord, for your unfailing love is wonderful. Take care of me for your mercy is so plentiful. This is the bit. This is the bit. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Don't hide from your servant. Ask me quickly. uh, Answer me, sorry, quickly for I'm in deep trouble. Come and redeem me. Come and redeem me. That's the line. Free me from my enemies. Redeem is uh, it's an important word in that little verse there. It's a really important. It's one word, but it makes it. It makes it. The uh, definition of redeem is to gain or regain possession of something in exchange for payment. You were bought at a price, and your life isn't your own. That's, again, it's a, it's, a, it's a challenging message, but it's a truth. Jesus is gracious, and he doesn't force you to do anything. He has bought you, and you might never recognize that for your entire life. You don't have to. Jesus gives us that choice. But there is a calling on your life. Jesus died for you. He sacrificed himself because you don't measure up, and he is amazing. And God sent his son to die for you. It's, it's humbling. It's that I'm lost at sea, and someone has reached out and dragged me onto the boat. And this is humiliating. This isn't an easy thing to accept. I look stupid right now because someone else has had to dig me out. But that's the truth of our situation. If you're a human, that's the truth. Well, that's my belief anyway. You don't have to accept that. But that's what I believe is the truth. 
It's humbling. It's difficult. It's difficult to, it's difficult to accept. I wrote this, I carried on in my journal. Um, don't underestimate the power of belonging to someone. We see that as a negative thing because it gives us less power or control than we previously had. But when you're real about yourself and you're honest about your struggles, you know that we are desperate for someone greater than us to take the reins in our life. Desperate. We are desperate. When we mess it up, when I was sat in that medical room, I was desperate for someone to just pick me up and take me out of that room and take me away. Desperate. That's the truth of our situation. Uh, the foundation of your faith cannot be about a different lifestyle, a new friendship group, or a New Year's resolution to be kinder. That may be the point of intrigue. It was for me. But the foundation of a long-lasting faith must be, I've been humbled. I'm on my knees. I've been bought at a price, and I cannot ignore it. When life tries hard to dissuade you from, uh, dissuade you from faith, the foundation you need is the gospel. Now, I'm going to talk about Nigel and John now. They're my favorite two people ever. They're the best. Um, I, every week, every week, I go over. Paul, do you want to come up wherever you are? Um, every week, I go over, and I'm excited to go and have a chat with Nigel and John. Because, like, I asked them if I could say this. They've been really open when they got baptized. They talked about uh, the struggles they've had with drugs and alcohol and stuff like that. And they're both in recovery and doing an incredible job. Um, but... They're so exciting to go and talk to. And uh, we had them round, me, uh, Billy, Sasha, and Amy went round to Billy and Sasha's house and had a big roast dinner and had such a good time with them, chatting about recovery and, and talking about the first steps and stuff. And they told me about the first one. I just thought, oh, my word, like, we can all use that in life. Everyone can use that in life. The first step is we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, but you can get rid of alcohol and you can slot anything else in there that you want. Um, and that our lives had become unmanageable. That bit there, that our lives had become unmanageable. How many times in life do you just think, oh, this is just unmanageable. This is making me go insane. How many times do we think that about our marriage, about our friendships, about our work, about, you know, you can slot anything in there that you want. There are times where life is just overwhelming. And we need to be rescued. We need to be dug out. Um, the next step is we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. That is it's so good. It's so good. We came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. We can all learn um, and take from these principles, but I have to tell you, if you're not a Christian in this room, you're missing it. If you're not a Christian and you're here, I'm sorry. I don't mean to single you out. I hope you don't feel silly. I'm not trying to do that at all. I'm just telling you, you will forever feel lost until you're reunited with your Father in heaven. Forever. He's the one. He changes everything. And your faith, if you're a Christian and you've made that commitment, it will never be long-lasting if you've based your faith on, I want a friendship group like that, or I want, a, I want to be wise like that. The youth in this room... You've spent all weekend with us, and we've got, I believe, a pretty cool friendship group. If you are basing it on that, you're missing the point. The basis of your faith has to be, I was rescued, and it had nothing to do with me. Nothing. I'm humbled by the grace of God. It's been amazing to go through that little journey over the past few weeks. I feel a bit emotional, actually. Over the past few weeks. <laughs> Classic, Jake. I'm such a crier. 
<laughs> every time. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just want to pray and, and we'll finish there. But um, just ev- every week, Nigel and John, when I'm drumming, I'm so distracted because I just love to watch them worship because they come in and they tell me the stuff that's going on in their week, their week where they've lost someone or like something brutal that would shake people and, and that would make you question your faith. And questioning your faith is great. It's, it's not a problem. They're so honest and it's great. But when they're stood in front of God, they look at the way they've been rescued and they cannot help but lift up their hands. They can't help but lift up their hands and worship because that will never change. No matter who they lose, no matter the storm they're going through, nothing will change the fact that they have been rescued by a father that loves them. That will never change. If you're missing that this morning, I encourage you to respond. I encourage you to grab someone, grab a leader or grab someone who's on the prayer team. I'll be on the prayer team, have a little lanyard on. Um, If that's you, don't miss it this morning. Don't miss it. This, This could change your future. It's changed mine. It's turned my future around. Let's, um, let's pray.